You can discharge your student loans in bankruptcy so long as you meet a burden of proof. But in spite of the fact that a quarter of a million student loan borrowers file for bankruptcy each year, only a few hundred seek to discharge their educational debt. The reason, according to Jason Giuliano, a law professor at Villanova University, is called the student loan bankruptcy gap. That's his term for the myth that student loans aren't dischargeable in bankruptcy, a myth perpetrated by the media as well as the legal profession. And it's why, according to Giuliano, that most debtors don't try to get their student loans wiped out in bankruptcy. Giuliano published a study on the student loan bankruptcy gap in late 2020 in an attempt to explain and dismantle that myth, but he missed a few things. Welcome to Money Wise Law. My name is Jay Fleischman, and I'm a lawyer that helps people get out of debt. I sat down with Gene Melchione, a colleague of mine in Connecticut, to talk about the role lawyers can play in solving the student loan bankruptcy gap. Here's our conversation. So did you, did you read this this paper, this yes. student loan bankruptcy paper? I, I, I read it before, and as it was funny because when you sent the link, I went, I just saw two articles about it that I downloaded and created PDFs out of talking about the article. And I went, but I read this before. And I looked at it and I went, I've read this already. Uh, It's amazing because part of the problem is the, or problem, the, the, the reason being that the last time I was in DC, just before the pandemic hit or just about when it hit, that was, that was the, the the focus was meeting with all these people about the student loan bills, the Senate mm-hmm. bill and the House bill, and I actually right. met with with uh, Representative Katko from New York. Oh, okay. And, and and you know he's a Republican and and a co sponsor or, or co author of this of the House bill and mm-hmm. and and t- and talking about all the various solutions and all that. It was like oh. I, I was on this page like six months ago. What happened? Yeah. Nothing. Well, and and uh, and the author of the paper, uh, Jason Giuliano, I, I think that's how you pronounce his last Giuliano, name. Giuliano, yeah. Is, is it Giuliano? You pronounce the I as a J? Okay. Yeah. His last uh, Law Review article was when he was still a law student, I think it was, or he had just graduated or he was an LLM student or something like that. Also talking about how, uh, talking about student loans and bankruptcy and how the reason why no student loan, why the, the number of student loans discharge in bankruptcy is so low is because there are so few adversary proceedings brought. And that was his, his, that was the, the thesis of the of the last article. So this is very much building on that last article. Amazing and, amount of research that he put into it, though. You know, talking yes. about the methodology and and what sure. he did to try to find these cases that are yeah. just you sit there and go, why aren't there these these cases being brought? Yeah, um, I found I found a couple of his points though oddly divorced from reality. Oh, clearly. Uh, because he's not experiencing he, the cost of litigation. He doesn't exactly. see that. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, that he's, hit me immediately, which was, of course, these cases aren't being filed. Nobody can afford the cost of the process. Uh, and even the that Rosenberg case from when was that last year? The guy did it early, himself. Early, early this year. Pro se 
or, and he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, yes. and he's pro se. Giuliano's point with respect to costs is the lawyers charge too much, but it, it is a formulaic process. I believe formulaic is is the term that he uses, or something very close to that. It is a very formulaic process, and he gives the impression that well, this is all just a form, just like anything right. else. And the reality is, it is litigation. It is a lawsuit. There's going to be a winner and a loser, and it is fact-specific. And yes, you may win, but neither I nor you nor any other bankruptcy attorney can possibly price that case as a flat fee at a level that is comparable to the standard Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 bankruptcy filing because you don't know what kind of a fight you're going to have on the other side of it. You don't know. And and once you file a complaint on behalf of anybody, you're in the case and you can't say to the judge, oh, well, your honor, I, I ran out of gas. Sorry, yeah. I ran out of gas. Wait, waiting out. for what was it they said in law school? Waiting for a witness, Mr. Green. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you, you can't say that to nope. the judge. And so you either, if you're going to price it as a flat fee, you have to price it with an understanding of the uncertainty, which in other words means it's going to be more expensive, or you've got to price it based upon the amount of work that, you, that you're going to put in, which means that the harder they fight, the more your client is getting screwed because at some point you can win the lawsuit kill the patient and kill the patient right exactly one of the statistics that he focused or didn't focus on in the in the article was the number of cases that were settled and he didn't really talk about that so much because settlement is really some sort of solution to the problem yeah absolutely absolutely and to that end He mentions the Rosenberg case. The guy was a lawyer who left the practice of law. I think he runs some sort of an outdoor adventure company of some sort. Um, Adventuring, yeah. Yeah. Has had over $200,000 in federal student loan debt that was in default. He filed an adversary proceeding. Judge Morris, who is the chief judge in the Southern District of New York. She's also, by the way, the judge that... Uh, oversees all of the Chapter 13 cases in Manhattan. So she's my Chapter 13 judge. And Judge Morris uh, wrote an amazing opinion, I I think, by all accounts. It's tremendously, incredibly intelligent, well-reasoned, very sound. The Department of Education lost that case because of hubris, essentially. All the Department of Education needed to do to win that case would have been to offer the borrower a rehabilitation agreement. And that would have been it. That I would think have that's probably that. right. Yep. Yeah, it would have ended it. And Giuliano talks briefly about that case and says, well, you know, look, this this was talking about how expensive these cases are and, and process. And he holds up Rosenberg as, well, this is the way that hopefully things are going to go. And, and I do hope that that's the way that they go. But when One he fails... Well, what, what he fails to mention is, remember the Murphy case out of the First Circuit from a couple of years yes. ago that went 
all the way up to the Supreme Court. If I took on that adversary proceeding, won the case, and had to defend, essentially defend, every one of the Department of Education's appeals all the way up the chain, either I would have been bankrupted or my client would have been bankrupted. And the reality is that people who don't have the financial resources to fight at that level, at, 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 of course, they're not bringing these cases or they're bringing them pro se and mucking them up and making bad totally. Yeah. 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 Yep. The arguments were good, but they were so devoid of reality, which is why when a client comes to me and they've got a student loan issue, I'll review bankruptcy with them. I'll review their options in bankruptcy court. But for so many of them, it is more cost effective for the federal loan to rehabilitate, consolidate, look at income-driven repayment options, look at some of the uh, administrative discharge options that are available in the hopes that something changes or with an understanding that over the lifetime of repayment, yeah, it's going to be a pain, but you're still going to spend a whole lot less than doing an adversary proceeding in bankruptcy. So it's more cost effective. And you don't have to cut a check thinking, am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Because it doesn't matter who wins or loses. What's got two thumbs and always wins in that situation? The lawyer, this guy. Yeah. Lawyer's always going to get paid. Up to a point. I mean, that. That yeah. I mean, this this approach has been true for a very long time. I, I can remember distinctly a case that I took easily more than 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, where a guy dove into a pool and broke his neck on July 4th and was paralyzed from the shoulders down. And and the Department of Education's uh, and he qualified for Social Security Disability Department of Education's approach was, well, he can still talk and his prior job was in insurance so he can sell insurance policies if somebody will just clip the headphone onto his head so that he could he could continue doing sales and the the two lawyers representing the do the doe at that time uh one or actually both of them are now our bankruptcy judges in connecticut <laughs> and that's and, not and, good but the thing is, and, and in their defense, the one who worked for the Department of Justice said, why don't you go with an administrative discharge, which at that time I didn't know what it was, did it and got the, the loans discharged at a fraction of the time and expense that it would have taken to continue with the litigation. Absolutely. And in that respect, I think the Department of Education has an excellent point. Look, there's this other opportunity. We, Department of Education, don't want to lose because if we lose one case, we're going to lose, you know, everybody's going to stop paying their loan. So we don't want to lose. You, the borrower, you're taking the long way and there's a good chance that you're going to get lost because it's complicated and you're putting your fate into the hands of a third party judge. Why would you do that? Here's, here's your discharge application. Sign it. Send the touch. We're good. In, in my case, that made sense. But in the Rosenberg case, he wasn't disabled in, in any way. He was choosing not to work as a lawyer. Or at least that's what they said. He chose not to work as a lawyer yeah. and did an yeah. outdoor adventuring company. And, and 
So he is in charge of his own destiny. He could do and and didn't qualify for an administrative discharge. So, uh, you know, we're going to we're we're going to defend this all the way. Sure. And, and that case is on appeal. Of course, it's on appeal. It's going to go all the way up. And I don't want to sound political or anything, but if the Supreme Court hears it, the current makeup of the court doesn't really yeah. lend itself to no to that. And so ultimately, he's going to wind out settling. Ultimately, they'll rehab him and put him into a zero dollar income driven repayment plan. And, you know, maybe the negotiation point will be no 1099. So no potential tax bomb in 20 or 25 years. I don't know. I would never have taken his case, which is why I don't think anybody did. Yeah, I never would have taken it ever. I think it's on the facts. It just didn't add up. I maybe maybe talking to the borrower would give me a different feel for things, but it's all risk assessment. And even if the risk is low, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a bankruptcy lawyer. Oh, uh, you've got a student loan. Okay, well, can't discharge it in bankruptcy and you don't have the money, so I'm not going to do it. Look at other options for private loans. and, And and, you know, this this is a little bit more uncertainty, but. For private loans, they settle. They settle like the anything time. else all yeah. the time. And sometimes at dramatic discounts, at really good terms. Again, for the same reason. They don't want to risk losing. Well, that's because the private companies don't have a, a bottomless pocketbook like the government does. That's the exactly. difference. And that's the other thing. There's a part of Giuliano's article that talks about the government defends these cases because they don't want to get the loan wiped out and they don't want forgiveness and because taxpayers will pay to reimburse the lenders. It, something it, something it, along it's, those lines, it, yeah. It's, it's going to be a taxpayer bailout. That is such abject bullshit. <laughs> it's not a taxpayer. If you borrow money from me and I tell you that you don't have to pay me back, then you just don't pay me back. That's all it is. It means that I've foregone income, but it does not mean that I have to pay that money out. There's no additional loss for me because the money was spent years ago. Well, that's that that's buying into the lender's arguments that that not paying the money back is a loss. It's not really a loss because the money's already gone. What you've lost is the income. And what the government might lose in a situation like that is to pay out on a guarantee. Well, okay. Okay, wait, wait. That's that. And I got to stop you there. That's my problem. The problem is he talks about it's going to be a taxpayer bailout for the lender. The government is the lender. The taxpayer can't bail out the taxpayer. Right. It's the same entity for the guarantees. I get that. I get the fact that Chase lent me $20,000 for a student loan. I default on it. It goes to the guarantee agency. Guarantee agency uh, files their, ultimately files their reinsurance claim with the government. And then the government is holding the bag. And the government has spent all of this money to reimburse everybody else down the line for a federally guaranteed student loan. But... This point, the vast 
majority of federal student loans are held by the government. The, right. the FFEL program, it was uh, discontinued as of June 30th, 2010, has been largely, there's been an enormous push towards getting those leftover borrowers to consolidate into direct loans. I'm not saying that they don't exist anymore. They do. It's all government money when you come right down to it. And and forgiving it is really not losing anything you haven't already spent. Yeah. It, it, the money's it, gone. It, it, the horse is out of the barn. You're not going to get them back. Right. Nobody's Nobody gets reimbursed. It's not like you get a bill for reimbursement and you have to write a check to the lender and it harms you. Your taxes, if there is a tax implication to the larger public, what it means is the government need is reallocating its own existing resources. You're going to pay the same amount of taxes. The money is just going to get shuttled different. to a variety yeah. of different places. And guess what? You don't have control over how the government allocates its money as it is. So, you know, if the government is funding, you know, sex ed classes in high school and you're opposed to that, guess what? Too bad. If the government is funding uh, firearm education and safety classes at the local community college and you're against firearms, guess what? Too bad. You don't get a choice. The government does with the money what the government wants to. And you're never going to be 100% happy anyway with how the government's spending your money, not the way that it works. Well, it, 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 it all dovetails into what I was, I took down some notes before we started talking. And they're basically the, the three approaches to solving the problem. One is through the litigation, which we know is an expensive proposition and probably doesn't result in any kind of solution. There's the statutory one of passing a law saying student loans are forgiven or under or modifying that that hardship requirement somehow in bankruptcy. And the third is administrative, which is saying, look, we've already spent the money. Let it let it go. Yeah. And and going the litigation route in bankruptcy court, it's not even the cost. There's more money that somebody's going to have to spend to fund litigation. I get that. But it's not really a question of cost. It's a question of what your return on your investment is going to be. If you file for bankruptcy and you file a Chapter 7 straight discharge bankruptcy, and uh, according to Giuliano, the average legal fees for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy case nationwide are about $1,500. And and whether that's right or wrong, let's let's yeah. use that number just for it's, argument. It's an acceptable so. number, yeah. Yeah, let's let's just use that argument uh, and use that number. You file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, you spend your $1,500, and you know what you're going to get at the end of it. In, in the way of a commodity, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You spend, let's say, even 5000 or even 2500 additional for an adversary proceeding to discharge your student loan in bankruptcy. And $2,500 is 
an unthinkable legal fee just because I, I you're shouldering so much risk as an attorney as far as the amount of work you're going to have to put in. But but let's just say I call you. I say, Gene, I want to file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. I want to do an adversary proceeding to get rid of my student loans. You say, great. What do I get? Well, you'll get these debts discharged through the Chapter 7. Okay, well, how about at the end of the adversary proceeding? I don't know. We don't know. I, I, can, I can assess your chances. I can help you maximize those chances. I can frame the issues as best as I can. But ultimately, I can't tell you what the end result's going to be because I'm not in the judge's head. And even if I were, the judge hasn't, hasn't seen your case and we don't know what the other side's going to bring up to counter it. But either way, you're going to pay me 2,500 bucks. That's not the way that a bankrupt, that when you're filing for bankruptcy, it's because you don't have, have a whole lot of money to just piss away. And the responses that you get from the client ultimately is, what the hell kind of lawyer are you anyway? A realistic one. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not a question of, is it impossible? Is it really difficult? Do I, have I done a million of these? It's all a matter of risk. And in part, it's because people who are in debt can't afford to gamble that amount of money because it's not extra. It's a function of the fact that bankruptcy, to a very large extent, is a risk-free process. Because if you hire a lawyer and your lawyer knows what they're doing and they understand the process, they can reasonably forecast for you what you're going to get out of it. Chapter 13 plan, you're going to spend $400 a month for 60 months. Plan payment's going to go up by X amount once your pension loan has been repaid in year three. Like they can, they can forecast the whole thing. There's no risk of surprise if it's done correctly. There's very little risk of surprise. That's what I tell every client is basically I don't want to file your case unless I'm pretty much know how it's going to come out. Exactly. I, um, I, I'm adverse to the risk as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you go into bankruptcy to minimize risk or eliminate risk. It's a great system for that. And even if you go outside of bankruptcy and you look at other litigated matters, your primary sources of litigated matters are divorce and child support and custody and stuff like that, which is right. Family law litigation, which is the field where everybody comes into the process angry and leaves the process (laughs) angrier, but relieved. Nobody's ever happy ever. Then you've got criminal law and the vast majority of those cases settle. There's plea deals and, you know, it is what it is. And very few of those cases actually go through to a jury trial. And then you've got injury related law. Um, as, my, as my former employer used to say to me, those are the how much are cases. How much are you going to get out of it? That's all. It's not a question yep. of whether you're going to get something or nothing. It's really how much. Yep. And if you think about it, the litigant, most of the time, they don't bear any risk. True. If you're, yep. if you're being sued, your insurance company 
is going to cover the costs of, of the defense and they're going to pay out any settlement or, or judgment. And it's very rare that you're going to have to dip into your own pocket over and above that coverage amount. And if you're the person who is suing, for the most part, your attorney's getting paid a portion of their recovery. You, the individual, know very little about the financial risk involved in litigation, which is why I think it hits you square in the face when your bankruptcy lawyer says, could cost five, 10, 20, 30, fill in the blank, thousand dollars. You may lose and I'm still getting paid anyway. Right. And and you may still have to pay the student loan. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you filed for bankruptcy primarily because you wanted to deal with this student loan. You're still going to have to deal with the bankruptcy process. <clears throat> still got to still got to go through those those hoops. So and the you may actually, that they might have. Yeah, right. And, and some people do and some people don't. It's, it's very fact specific also. But ultimately, it's you may file for bankruptcy and file an adversary proceeding to discharge your student loans. And at the end of the process, you may be in a worse position than you are now, because now you only owe the student loan. Not, not an acceptable risk. No, it, it really isn't. Look, I get what the author's perspective is, and I agree with him, and I know that you do too, that student debt should be more easily discharged in bankruptcy. There does need to be a move away from putting all the power in the hands of the lender and essentially forcing the borrower into a defensive position out of the gate and at the mercy of a judge who may or may not have any empathy towards them, quite frankly. So it, so it does need to be easier. It does need to be more certain. It does need to be more carefully and closely defined. It does need to be far less expensive. I agree with all of that. But I think that by ignoring these real world true issues, I can't see how the author makes his point well. Yes, I, I agree with that. But but at the same time, I think he also recognizes the the harm that's being done, which is when he talks about people uh, postponing getting married and buying a house, having kids, living a normal life, getting on with their careers, which might not be related to their education simply because they have to deal with this. So there's the harm there. And I and I I'm clear that he recognizes that the question is, what's the cure? And and yeah. I think he's proposing more bankruptcy litigation strictly from the idea that if we flood the courts with this kind of stuff, maybe the judges will deal with it since obviously the legislature or the administrative won't. So I, I, I get that. I agree with that. But it's like the old joke. Hey, doc, it hurts when I do this. Yeah. Okay, don't do this. We should be able to fi have more of these cases flooding the court. Okay, flood the, flood the courts with more of these cases. Who pays? Yes. If, who's who's going to pay? And to make it sound less craven, how do you propose that we minimize the risk to the borrower and we maximize the, po the potential for a positive return on whatever their investment is? Well, I mean, I think one of the things, again, 
lack of experience, he doesn't under, quite understand the ethical duties that we have as lawyers to our clients. Do I say to my client, look, you've got $35,000 worth of student loans that could cost you $20,000 to litigate it. And oh, by the way, you could still lose. Is that ethical to propose that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that part of what he may be saying is because he talks about the attorneys who uh, the minute they hear student loans, they tell their their clients, no, it's never going to happen. I think that that is, I don't want to say unethical. I think that it is irresponsible. And I think that it feels kind of kind of invalidating to the borrower's position and their desires. So maybe what he's proposing is be honest with your client, tell them like it is. And instead of slanting the argument one way or the other, you know, oh, hell no, this is never going to happen. And it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and you're screwed, buddy. Give them an objective response. Look, these are the three things that you've got to prove under the Brunner test in the way that that it's applied in this courtroom or in this district or in this circuit. This is what you've got to prove. This is what it means. This is what each of those three prongs means up until this moment. If you want to fight over it, that's cool, but this is what it's going to cost you. And I'm going to let you make that decision if you want to continue talking about it. But I also need you to know that these are the things that I'm going to need to have in order to be able to put this case together in a way that's going to maximize your chances. Don't come to me and say, I don't want to pay it. It's not fair. So do you think that his point that most lawyers just say automatically that that student loans, oh, forget it, they're non-dischargeable, is really valid? I, I think experienced bankruptcy attorneys, and from my experience, most of the b- attorneys who do bankruptcy have been doing it for a very long time. They have that experience. They take that into consideration. And so that's not really their response, which is hell no. It's really right. what you just described, is explaining to the client, these are the risks, these are the costs, and, uh, you know, here's where I think it might turn out, but we can't say for sure. I agree with you that you and I, I think, live in a world that is slightly different than a lot of other bankruptcy lawyers. You're in a leadership position with some of the most sparklingly intelligent, ethical, upstanding, well-versed, up-to-date consumer bankruptcy attorneys in the entire country. I have been so incredibly lucky to have fallen in with a group of attorneys like that, like you, like some of the like some of the people that that, you know, are our group of mm-hmm. of bankruptcy lawyers. People who when a new decision comes out They'll sit there and they'll read it and they'll read the footnotes and they'll follow the case law and they'll connect it with their with their own clients. And they know their judges and they've been doing this a long time and they kind of get the ebb and flow of the way things go. That's not the way that a lot of lawyers in any field operate. I do what I do. I know what I know. This is the way that I do it because this is the way that I've always done it. And it's worked so far. And this is how it goes. And that's the end of the story. That's it. And 
it's that, that, that might be fit. the case. I'm, I, I maybe being in this environment as long as I have, I've lost sight of that that segment of the legal population. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm in a small state where there's a small group of us that do this kind of work, and everybody knows it. Um, yeah, it's possible. Um, maybe in a California place, of, you know, where it's such a huge place, it's such so many people that are there, and the experience level of attorneys is different. Maybe that's true. And and it's not even that because in Southern California, I am consistently impressed by the level of professionalism and the level of dedication to the field that I've seen on a grand scale with the bar. And so too in New York, um, it's, it's a graying bar. You know, the attorneys that I know, I've known for God. I mean, I'm still one of the young guys and I've been doing it 25 years. I mean, really? And here in LA, I'm I'm not the youngest, but again, it's it's a very mature bar, and it's a very small bar. There's a there's a core, a small core, and then there's kind of the the secondary ring. For every lawyer that I see that approaches this with an intellectual curiosity, there are probably a dozen or more lawyers in any location, even in Connecticut, where they're like, all right, well, you know, this is a seven, there's always be a seven. And this is this is the way that it goes. And this is the way that it goes. And I got a system going. And you're going to throw something in that's going to muck up my system. You're going to throw in loss mitigation for uh, for mortgage work. A lot of lawyers opted out of doing that. You want to talk about an adversary proceeding for student loan? It's not my not my jam because it's not my jam. I'm going to tell you, look, no, no, it's it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to take the time to explain. These are the three prongs that make up the Brunner test. This is what the first one is. This is what it means. This is how it's been applied over the course of the past 30 plus years. The second is the third prong. Bomb, 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 bomb. They're going to shortcut it by saying. Yeah, no, I I just don't see that happening for you. It's going to be nearly impossible for somebody like you. It's not going to happen. The client walks away hearing my student loans, student loans can't be wiped down bankruptcy. The lawyer has gone through that argument in their head, but they haven't seen fit to put that all on the table with the client. I know you do. I know I do. But Mm. people operate on shortcuts. Yeah, I, I suppose I could see that. I think the transparency of the standard and of the process may be part of what Giuliano is arguing for beyond the systemic changes, which he definitely wants to see put in place. And, and you and I do as well. I don't There's think another may- aspect to it, too. I, the public perception. I have had clients come in and not even tell me they had student loans because they perceived that that was an automatic thing, not even worth talking about or disclosing because it's meaningless. So I I can see that uh, argument too, is that don't, don't shortcut it from the, you know, the client shouldn't be shortcutting it either. Maybe they have the perfect dischargeability case. Maybe they did dive into that pool and get paralyzed from the shoulders down. Exactly. Or, or, 
they can't work because they're required to provide full-time care to a family member or loved one. You know, those are, those are the big examples. Um, I agree with you a hundred percent because, and, and the article does, does mention how, you know, the press has bought into that shortcut of no doubt you about can't, it. yeah, yep. you can't, or it's difficult to, as opposed to saying in order to discharge a student loan in bankruptcy, you need to meet a separate standard. And, and I think that that's really all it, it is because it's not that discharging a student loan in bankruptcy is more difficult. It's not that it's less difficult. It's that there's a different standard at work there. And you need to be able to fit within that standard. If you do, then discharging the student loan is a cakewalk. If you yeah. don't, discharging the student loan is impossible. So is it more difficult? I don't know. Yeah. What do you point. got? Yeah. yeah. What, what's, your, what's your fact situation? So transparency and information to the borrower um, along with a press to affect some systemic change that is a little bit or a lot more borrower friendly. Um, I've got my just, magic genie lamp and I'm rubbing it every day. Making there you go. Wish. He's got good points, but I think that the article comes off. It feels disingenuous because there's that there's that lack of real world perspective there. That's absolutely the valid point with that article. I I I saw it as sort of an, an encouragement for people to do something. Maybe maybe that will make a difference. I don't know. There you have it. Our thoughts on the student loan bankruptcy gap. We'd love to hear what you think. So please reach out and let us know. My name is Jay Fleischman, and I practice law in California and New York. I represent people in bankruptcy cases, defend collection lawsuits, and help my clients get relief from crushing student loans. You can learn more about me, what I do, schedule an appointment, and more by going to moneywiselaw.com. Gene Melchione practices law in Connecticut, where he represents people in bankruptcy and defends foreclosure cases. Learn more about Gene by going to ctbankruptcy.com. If you've got a question you'd like to have answered, you can send an email to hello at moneywiselaw.com. And until next time, remember, you can't win the game unless you know the rules. 